It's Monday, August the 15th, 2022, and welcome back to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the globe. I'm Bill Whalen. I'm Hoover's Virginia Hobbs Carpenter, a distinguished policy fellow in journalism. While I'm the only fellow who can lay claim to that title, I am not the only fellow who's doing podcasts these days. If you don't believe me, go to Hoover's website, hoover.org, check it out for yourself. Uh, to find our podcast, you click on the tab at the top of the homepage. It says commentary, then go to where it says multimedia, and that'll take you to the whole battery of uh, of our podcast. You can subscribe to any or all of them on iTunes. You can also sign up for our monthly pod blast, as we call it, which delivers the best of our work to you each and every month. My guest today is Bjorn Lomborg. Bjorn's a Hoover Institution visiting fellow, president of the Copenhagen Consensus Center, and a visiting professor at the Copenhagen Business School. He's also a best-selling author whose 2020 book, False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Cost Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor and Fails to Fix the Planet, examines why climate change is real, but not necessarily the coming of the apocalypse. Those of you familiar with the Hoover Institution work and I was Bjorn from his past appearances on Hoover's Goodfellas program, which I'm a part of, as well as our Uncommon Knowledge broadcast. Bjorn, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Bill, it's great to be here. So you are indeed a visiting fellow. You're visiting California. Let's spend a minute here just talking about what it is to come to California and revel in our wonderful climate here in August. How, how do you like being here? I love it. I mean, otherwise I wouldn't be coming back so often. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a great place. Uh, but then again, I don't have to pay the taxes. I don't have to pay the high uh, energy prices, all that all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I'm, I'm probably coasting on a little bit here. So you kind of nice place to visit, but you wouldn't want to live here necessarily. I, I don't know. I, have, I haven't given that a, a thought. I like it where I live in Sweden. And it's not like Sweden is a low tax place either, is it? I was, I was going to say, do you find our dark taxes particularly daunting compared to being back in Europe? No. Uh, uh, but, but, you know, it's, it's surprising that the, uh, uh, that the gas prices have risen so, risen so far. Uh, and, and certainly uh, uh, a lot of the issues around, uh, you know, for instance, poverty. In, uh, in California is, uh, is a little disappointing. Uh, and there, there seems to be a lot of things uh, going on. But again, I, th- I, I think it's, it's terrible when somebody else comes over and, and tells you everything about what you need to know about Sweden or Denmark. And so I'm not, I'm not going to try to pretend to be a, 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 an expert in California. But you have wonderful, uh, uh, wonderful scenery, beautiful places. I love coming here. Well, thank you for not scolding us today. We appreciate that, Bjorn. Uh, let's begin by looking at the big news out of Washington. Well, the big news uh, before the FBI paid a visit to Mar-a-Lago, and that's Congress signing off on the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, it's actually a tax, health, and climate bill. Uh, it doesn't have so much to do with inflation as it does those matters. And at the heart of the measure, Bjorn, is a record $369 billion, that's billion with a B, $369 billion in spending on climate and energy policies, the promise to slash America's carbon emissions by roughly 40% by 2023. Uh, we'll get into some of the specifics here in a moment, but I'd point you, Bjorn, to Nancy Pelosi's comment when this passed the House, quote, Mother Earth, get, Mother Earth gets angry from time to time, and this legislation will help us address all of that. So, Bjorn, you've looked at the bill, you've weighed the consequences of it. Uh, is this going to please Mother Earth? <laughs> well, first of all, uh, global warming, as, as you also mentioned earlier on, is a real problem. Uh, and so this will help address a little bit of that. But I think the bluster that you hear around this has no end compared to what it's actually gonna do. It's gonna have a minuscule impact. And of course, it also sends another, an important signal, I think one that's uh, very under uh, appreciated. Uh, you know, we hear constantly, oh, green energy is ready to take over. Green energy is actually cheaper than fossil fuels and stuff. You got to stop and ask, why is it then you have to spend $369 billion in order to cut a little more CO2? Clearly, that indicates 
that we're not ready yet. So there's two things. You also mentioned that headline number that it's going to uh, help reduce uh, U.S. emissions to 40%. It's not like they wouldn't have been reduced because it's measured from 2005, which was almost the absolute peak uh, in emissions. And remember, it has uh, dropped dramatically already because you got fracking. You basically switched from uh, a lot of coal to a lot of gas. And that uh, helps a lot because gas emits about half as much CO2 uh, as does coal. So what you would probably have seen otherwise was a reduction somewhere between 25 and 30% and now you see 40%. So we get that delta. You get actually an extra reduction of uh, some 10, 15 percentage points. Uh, that's a you know questionable, and we could have a long conversation about that. I don't think actually anyone really knows this, and it's probably a little optimistic, but let's just go with that. Mm -hmm. If you then reduce your emissions by another 10 to 15%, how much will that actually matter? Well, you could just run it in you know, the UN climate model. And, and I just did that, I was, I was on vacation. Uh, it's not very hard to do. Uh, uh, you just, I just took uh, the, the outcome uh, from the Rhodium group, which is one of the three groups, and they all get pretty much the same result on, on what would be the outcome of the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, and it's those 10, 15%. And then I made an, uh, a very pessimistic estimate, namely that when the money runs out, we're no longer going to be cutting, uh, which seems reasonable, but probably a little too pessimistic. Uh, and that gives you one estimate of how much we're going to reduce temperature. The other one assumes that you're going to continue having this reduction even after the money has run out for the next 70 years, which is set definitely an incredibly generous and probably uh, a vastly uh, too optimistic estimate. But the truth is somewhere in between these two numbers. It turns out that if you're incredibly optimistic, this bill will cut global temperature by the end of the century by less than three one hundredths of a degree Fahrenheit. So about 0 0.028 degree Fahrenheit. Yes, we need to use all those digits. If you're pessimistic, it will reduce it less than one thousandth of a degree Fahrenheit. So when Nancy Pelosi and Biden and everybody else gets up there and, and, and talks this up really loudly, they're vastly exaggerating. Yes, it will reduce temperatures, but by a tiny bit. Nobody will be able to measure this even in 100 years. And so the truth is, we're basically saying, let's spend $369 billion, probably not very well, right. on achieving almost nothing. That ought to be a headline. And you got to ask yourself, why is it none of the people who are advocating for this are telling you what's the impact of the temperature? It's not because they have a different number. It's because it's dramatically small. And you know, obviously, that would never generate any positive PR. Yeah. Well, one thing that's sad, Bjorn, is when you spend 369 billions, billions with the B, this comes after Congress has spent trillions with the T related to COVID matters and the economy and so forth. So maybe maybe just people don't get alarmed by the B. Let me give you a few of the specifics in this bill, because there are just lots and lots of goodies in here. So, for example, $10 billion invest, investment tax credit to manufacturing facilities mm -hmm. for things like electric vehicles, wind turbines, solar panels. $30 billion for additional production tax credits to accelerate domestic manufacturing of solar panels, wind turbines, and batteries. $27 billion clean energy technology accelerator to support deployment of technologies of curb emissions. $5 billion Bjorn in grants to support healthy forests, forest conservation, urban tree planting. $2.6 billion in grants to conserve and restore coastal habitats. The list goes on. Bjorn, $30 billion mm -hmm. 
partners in grant and loan programs for states and electric utilities to advance a clean energy transition, a $7,500 tax credit to buy new new electric vehicles, and a $4,000 credit for buying used one, and Bjorn, $60 billion to address the effects of pollution on low-income communities and communities of color, what we in the U.S. call environmental justice. Hmm. Yeah. And, and again, look, a lot of these things are have very little to do with the climate thing. And some of them are, are, are good for other political things. And it's yeah. fine to spend money on, on things that you care about. But you should just have a good sense of what this is actually going to achieve. Uh, one of the things that blow my mind is, is our fascination and almost obsession uh, with electric cars. Um, yeah. You know, First of all, if, if you've ever driven a Tesla, it's a wonderful car. You know, if, if your needs fix this, it's a great car. I mean, if you have lots of money, uh, I would definitely buy one. I'm happy some of my friends have one. I've been happy to uh, go along with it. But you shouldn't believe that this is what's going to fix climate change in any short order. Now, it seems reasonable as, as electric cars get cheaper that eventually a significant proportion of our cars, you know, you could imagine somewhere between 10 and uh, and 50% of all cars uh, would be electric if we didn't give any subsidies to them, just simply because they're cheaper and more effective in the long run. But just remember, this is not going to solve global warming because remember the batteries need much more energy to be produced. And typically those batteries for cost saving reasons are manufactured in China using coal. Right. And, and so essentially what you have is a car that already comes with a huge CO2 debt. Now, if you drive it a long way, it will actually be a net reduction in emissions, but only a smaller one. And of course, remember, most people actually buy an electric car as their second car. So they'll typically have the, you know, the real car to go on long trips, but then they'll have their virtual signaling car that they'll go uh, to the local supermarket because because, hey, it, you know, you're not running out of juice uh, uh, doing that and you can virtual signal and, it, oh, it's cheaper. But actually, then, of course, it removes almost no CO2. If you take uh, the best estimates and, oh, oh, and I'm forgetting it also, uh, you know, it, it gets recharged by power that almost everywhere and certainly in the developing world uh, will be mostly coal fire, uh, uh, coal fired uh, power. Right. Uh, and, and so if you take the global average right now, electric cars probably cut about 10 tons of CO2 over the lifetime. For most people, that doesn't mean anything. It, it's sort of the average uh, emissions of a, of, of a rich person in the world. It's a little less than uh, what the average person does in, in, in the US. Uh, you could buy that offset on the American exchange uh, for about 60 or $70. Instead, we're spending $7,500 to achieve this. So we're literally spending 100 times too much to try to cut these emissions and very, very small emissions. And we talk about this as a great way to fix the climate. But again, remember, who are the main emitters in the rest of the 21st century? It's not the US or Europe or any of these well-meaning uh, places. It's mostly China, India, Africa, rest of Southeast Asia. Those are the places you have to convince. And then we're back to saying, are you going to convince them to say we need to spend $7,500 for every electric car to be sold to actually get people to pick up on them? No, they're not going to do that. Are they going to be enticed by a policy that suggests you need to spend $369 billion in order to cut your emissions 10 to 15 percentage points? No, they're probably not going to do that either because they have other and bigger issues. So again, if you're not going to solve the problem 
apart from feeling good about yourself and right. doing a minuscule impact. Maybe this is not the right way to address global warming. Bjorn, it's one of the challenges here in talking about the climate that we just kind of lose sense of what's kind of important and relevant here. And I would point you, for example, to Taylor Swift, uh, uh, America's pop princess. Uh, Taylor Swift has come under fire of late because why? Uh, her private plane gets loaned out frequently. Uh, I think it was records show it was flown 170 times over the span of seven months. And so thus she has been labeled a carbon criminal for having this happen. But in terms of what her plane is contributing to the environment, Bjorn, is this really important? Should we really be not, you know, gnashing our teeth over Taylor Swift's airplane? I, yeah, I saw that. I, I was just thinking about what, where are you going with this? But yes, I, I think probably everybody saw that uh, that clip. And, and it's a great example of how, how we're, we're basically saying having something that I think most people think of as a good opportunity. Now, most of us probably don't need to travel as much as she does. Uh, but yeah, being able to actually travel and go see your friends and, and, and meet with your family and have a, a continentally integrated economy is something that makes us all richer. Having right. more access to energy means that we're not as vulnerable in a heat wave. We're not as vulnerable when it gets really cold. It means that we're better fed. It means we have more opportunities. It means a lot of good things. Now, admittedly, that also means we want to fix the emissions of carbon eventually. But we have to remember that this is mostly a, an outcome of something that's good. Most people want to be able to have the opportunity to travel on, 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 on airplanes. And so this obsession of saying, well, actually, we should all go with hair shirts and, and you know, not actually uh, 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 live all, that, all this great. That's not a way to solve this. Partly, of course, it's not going to solve it by, uh, by, by telling a few pop princesses that they can't you know, be, uh, be traveling as much on a, on a private plane because that's not going to matter any, anyway. Uh, what really matters is to tell the broad mass of people in the U.S. and elsewhere, you can't travel, travel on, on airplanes, you're not allowed to go as much in, in your cars and so on. And of course, that's never going to actually work if you want to get a, a political majority for it. But also... Again, it's not something that most people in China, India, and Africa are actually going to be looking forward to saying, oh, yeah, I don't want to have as much opportunity as, 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 uh, as Americans have today. That's not the right way to sell this issue. Of course, what we want to say is we should have the opportunity to have a wonderful life in many different ways, a life that's unharmed by both heat waves and cold waves, a life that's unharmed by, uh, by uh, uh, a lack of good health and, and lack of food. Mm -hmm. And that's about having lots of energy. What we need to find a way to do is to have lots of energy and not emit a lot of CO2. And that requires a lot of uh, uh, research and development that requires us to basically have energy technology that is cheaper than fossil fuels. We're not there yet. And trying to push it through simply, you know, doing these subsidies to your electric car is mainly just a uh, 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 show off. It's feel good. It's not the thing that'll actually solve the problem. One item I did not mention in the Inflation Reduction Act, Bjorn, is uh, there's also a $30 billion, um, uh, $30 billion tucked away for what's called a zero emissions nuclear power production credit. And what that does is it subsidizes existing nuclear power plants over the next decade here in the U.S. Uh, reactors uh, generate about 20% of America's electricity, Bjorn. Uh, you want to guess how many nuclear power plants have come online in the U.S. in the past 25 years? <laughs> I, I think I guess it's zero. One. It's one. Oh, one. wow. Oh, there you go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
have a party. Only one. You look at this, though, and uh, we're going to get to California second on this. So how does nuclear power weigh? If you're if we're going to talk about having cleaner energy in America and getting off the fossils, what's nuclear's role going to be here? Because few things are more contentious in America. We bring up the specter of nuclear power. Now, yes, it's been a long time since Three Mile Island and Chernobyl and so forth. But what do you think the balance will be in America? And maybe also you want to reflect a bit on what, how Europe approaches nuclear power. Yeah. So, so the thing about nuclear power is it's the only uh, uh, baseload power that we know how to do without CO2. So the, the 24-7 power, and we can get no CO2 from it, but we can get lots of power. So it's simply a technology that has been there for decades. It's incredibly safe. Uh, so when you look at all the statistics, yes, obviously, you know, you shouldn't have a Chernobyl kind of setup. Right. Uh, and, and Chernobyl probably, uh, and these are sort of the best estimates from World Health Organization and the EU and the International Energy, uh, sorry, the International Atomic Energy Commission and several others, it probably killed a couple hundred people, maybe even a thousand people. Uh, and we definitely shouldn't have that. That's not how we have nuclear reactors in most of the rest of the world. And, and mostly we see very, very few deaths. Remember, that should be compared to the fact that every year about half a million people die, for instance, from coal-fired power. Uh, right. So it's not like we uh, other power sources are not dangerous. So we should not be concerned about nuclear power from a safety point of view. What we should be concerned about is that nuclear power is incredibly expensive. So new nuclear power, uh, we built a new one in Finland, one in France, they turned out to be incredibly expensive, over budget, far be, uh, you know, behind schedule. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I think there's a lot of validity to the argument that we have put up an enormous thicket of, of, of red tape around these uh, uh, power plants. On the other hand, I also think it's gonna be very hard to get rid of that red tape. So the reality is, Building new nuclear power stations turns out to be very expensive, probably much more expensive than anything that we can imagine uh, with fossil fuels or the subsidies for, uh, for renewables. That's why you should keep your existing power plants. Absolutely. Look, you've already paid for them. Right. You've already committed for the decommissioning of them eventually, which are the two major costs of a nuclear power plant. While it's running, it's almost free. It's almost free power. Of course, you should not shut it down. So when, for instance, Germany decided to shut it down after Fukushima for this you know, incredibly ludicrous argument that, well, what if a, a tsunami was to hit Germany? It's just you know, sort of geologically impossible to have uh, a tsunami. Well, they, they were worried about the tsunami that hit the uh, Fukushima, right? Uh, and, and that was the reason why they said we're going to cancel the nuclear power uh, uh, program in, in Germany back in 2011. Uh, and th that's just silly. You know, you should definitely not be doing that for a lot of other reasons also because you don't want to actually give a lot of money to Putin. And there's, there's a right. lot of good reason for that. That we should not do. So again, uh, we'll probably also talk about the Diablo Canyon in, in, yes. in, in California, but yeah. You know, don't shut down existing nuclear power plants if you can get away with it. The other way is to remember that we should have new nuclear power plants that are much cheaper, much more effect effective. That's what fourth generation nuclear. So right now we're running on third generations. Fourth generation is promising to do that. These would be the small modularized things that you build in industrial plants that basically come out and they ship out in a container and you put them up and you run them. Uh, and in principle, they'll be incredibly cheap. They'll be even safer because they'll be sort of passively uh, uh, safe. So if all the power goes out, 
they won't sort of go to into a, an explosion or anything, but they'll just simply stop instead. Now, again, we've been told this with a lot of other things, you know, oh, the future is just around the corner. So let's, you know, let's wait and see if this actually comes true. But we should definitely be trying to get fourth generation going because that could be incredibly cheap and safe. But, and that's the last part of, of the question you just asked, uh, is, this, is this the whole solution? Well, the problem is most of the stuff that we run in a modern society is not electricity driven. So right. that's about 80% of all we do. It's you know, uh, all our cars right now that we could envision, but, it, but again, it's not just your and my car, but it's also all the trucks and everything else. And that's gonna be a lot harder, uh, but it's also all the heating, uh, it's it's a, a lot of industrial processes, you know, your cement, you, uh, uh, iron, uh, fertilizer, all the things that basically underpin uh, modern growth and modern uh, civilization. Now, a lot of this we can envision to uh, electrify eventually, but that's also going to be very costly and it's going to be a long process. So nuclear power definitely has part of this. this the outcome is don't shut down existing nuclear power plants try to find out if we can make fourth generation become incredibly cheap and then eventually try to electrify everything. But this is going to be a 50 to 100 year uh, uh, pathway. This is not something you do by 2030. You mentioned Diablo Canyon. So let's segue into California now, Bjorn. And this is a very interesting tale, a very timely one, because on Friday, Governor Gavin Newsom uh, announced that he is open to giving uh, PG&E, that's the big California utility, a billion and a half dollar loan to keep Diablo Canyon operating. It's scheduled to close Bjorn by 2025. This does not mean that Governor Newsom, who ran in 2018 mm. for governor on the promise of shutting down Diablo Canyon, saying he would not keep it open past its uh, his decommission date, but now he has done 180. And why has he done this? Because he has a very big political problem um, on his hands. California, two years ago, uh, Bjorn had a big heat wave. And the heat wave uh, made an incredible demand on electricity. And guess what? The demand yeah. outstripped the supply. And guess what? The lights went out in California. This cost an earlier governor, Gray Davis, the one who lost to Arnold Schwarzenegger in the recall. He lost a job in part to this. Newsom is looking at this reality in California, Bjorn. There are about 14.2 million homes in the Golden State. Uh, estimates show that if we have another such heat wave, these are called one in every 30 decade heat waves, but this, these seem to be rather random numbers. We seem to be having more of these once in a lifetime events more frequently, it seems. If the same occurrence happened uh, in 2022, Bjorn, about 3.7 million, uh, five, 3.75 million homes would be taken out, would be blacked out. That's one in every four homes in California. Mm. Yeah. And people big. don't like that. <laughs> Not don't. surprisingly. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, the, so yeah. The, the, the truth is, uh, I, I think a lot of people uh, were just saying, oh, you know, if, if you just think about this sort of fairly shallowly, you're being right. told that solar and wind is cheaper than fossil fuels already. Uh, so let's, why don't we just power the world with solar and wind? Well, there's that tricky little bit of the fact that, you know, when the sun is not shining and the wind is not blowing, you have no power. Uh, and, and that's why you need this base load power. That's essentially why we have now set ourselves up to having two systems. We both have all the reliable power. And we still have to pay for all of that. And then we now have to pay for the unreliable power, the intermittent power from solar and wind and others. That's not an economically efficient outcome. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people, as we're getting more and more solar and wind, are starting to realize, oh, wait, we actually really like stuff that comes on 24 uh, seven, like nuclear power. Uh, and, and so I, I assume that, that uh, Governor Newsom's 
uh, thinking is a little bit similar to what's happened in Germany, where you know the the Greens are in the power of both the climate ministry and the economy ministry, and they're basically power, powering up coal coal fired power plants, and they're trying to uh, save the nuclear power plants because they're realizing what are we going to do without it? Then we basically are stuck with little or no power when the wind is not blowing and the sun is not shining. This is sort of what happens when, when your ideals meet reality. Uh, and, and, and so it's great that uh, Governor Newsom is doing that. Uh, it's great that people are starting to realize wherever else you've shut down nuclear power plants, they've not been replaced mostly by solar and wind, they've been replaced by fossil fuels. Uh, so, so, you know, nuclear power plants that are already built, you should definitely keep them operating as long as you can. And, and, and that also seems to be what's actually going to be happening now in Germany, uh, not with most of them, because they've already shut down most of them, but hopefully at least with three of their nuclear power plants. And at least that's going to make the coming crisis in Germany a little less severe. And again, you've got to ask yourself, is the goal here to feel good or is it to make sure that we have a lot of power and that we emit the least CO2 that we can? I would assume that it should be the latter. And in that case, it's definitely about not shutting down existing nuclear power plants. Right. So nuclear in California, Bjorn, accounts for about 9% of the state's electricity overall. And here's the problem, as you mentioned, when California doesn't have enough electricity, it has to either rely more on gas or it has to go borrow from other states as well. So yeah. we're we're not saving the planet. One thing you probably noticed about being in California, Bjorn, I don't know if it's slowly getting to you, uh, Stockholm syndrome, if I may snore your, <laughs> your, your Swedes. Uh, we're just a, a nation state, a land just dripping in virtue, or at least self-virtue. We are just, you've probably been staggered by how many Teslas you see driving around here. And if you walk in very swank neighborhoods in Palo Alto and Atherton, how many homes have been renovated with solar planets, uh, solar panels, people trying to save the planet one home and one car at a time. California Bjorn has the world's fifth largest economy. Uh, some people say the sixth largest economy, pretty amazing for one state. Uh, you want to guess Bjorn and how much uh, uh, greenhouse gases are emitted globally coming out of California, how much we account for in terms of all global gas emissions? Oh, a couple of percent. One percent. One percent. One percent. So yeah. here's California trying to save the world, but we're one percent of the problem, if you will. Uh, I would point you to some legislation of late Bjorn. Uh, we passed two bills in 2015 and 2018 here in California that requires the state to procure 60 percent of all electricity from renewable sources by 2030. So three out of five, three fifths of our electricity comes from renewables by 2030. The goal in California, Bjorn, is to be carbon neutral by 2045. You tell me how California is going to reach these goals. I have no idea how California is going to try to reach those goals, but I do know that it's going to be incredibly expensive when you look at this, uh, yes. for instance, for the EU, uh, if you look at this for the world. Uh, so McKinsey uh, uh, recently did an estimate for the world uh, showing that this is going to cost about uh, $5.8 trillion per year for the next 30 years. And these are just the actual purchasing costs. Uh, it doesn't include the the losses uh, that that sort of propagates on because everything becomes a little more expensive. Uh, Bank of America estimate about the same cost, and they also estimate it's going to create another three percent of what they call greenflation. Uh, you're simply going to be pushing out a lot of extra money, and everybody's going to be a little worse off. The fundamental problem here is if you're trying to push a technology that's not ready, you eventually end up realizing, oh, wait, this doesn't fit my reality. And that's what I think we're seeing in a lot of uh, uh, rich countries, both in Europe and probably also in California, that 
it's easy enough to put in the first 10, 20% of renewable power, but eventually what you end up doing is realizing, oh wait, we can't actually run a modern economy that only relies on uh, being sunny outside or the wind is blowing. Uh, and, and that's why, for instance, in, in the EU, most of our renewable energy is not from solar and wind, it's from biomass, the world's oldest uh, uh, energy source. So essentially wood, uh, but you know we grow it uh, in a fast growing energy forest, we call it. Um, that's 60% of all our renewables uh, because you can burn it when you need it. So it's a little bit like coal uh, and, and gas. But the problem of course is, it's also a little bit like coal and gas in the sense that it uses up a lot of land. It actually emits a lot of CO2, both because you probably need to grow agriculture somewhere else and because you fertilize it and because you use machinery to harvest and so on. It's very unclear how much of it actually cuts carbon emissions. A lot of people are arguing it's very close to zero or possibly even uh, a, a contributor to CO2 compared to what it uh, replaced. Uh, and, and so what you're really left with is, as you mentioned, a situation where you're just feeling good about yourself. This is not the way you solve it. And again, I want to emphasize that while we're talking about doing this in rich California or in rich Europe, right? this is a very, very tiny bit of the world's emissions. So you know, the, uh, the, the global emissions from, from the world's rich is in the order of uh, you know, somewhere between 30, 33%. Of our uh, of, of greenhouse gases, and it's going to be declining when a billion rich Chinese come come in, billion rich, uh, eventually rich Indians, and two billion eventually rich Africans are going to take over much of the world. And so again, we're not solving the problem within our own nations and within our own states, but also crucially, we're not signposting how are you going to solve this for the rest of the world. We're not going to do that by heavy subsidies and driving around in Teslas. We're going to do this by getting technology that's so cheap, for instance, uh, fourth generation nuclear, so that right. everyone will just want to have. Right. Uh, Bjorn, I want to point your attention to an article in Forbes today. Uh, the headline, Lorene Powell Jobs Charitable Foundation Taps California Environment Chief to Lead $3.5 Billion in Climate Change Giving. Now, for those who don't know her, Lorene Powell Jobs is Steve Powell's widow, Steve Powell, uh, Steve Jobs, of course, the, uh, the, uh, the Apple uh, genius. Uh, this is a pledge she made Bjorn back in September 2021 to donate $3.5 billion toward environmental causes over a decade. Um, and when this announcement was made, um, this quote, quote, the foundation will, quote, support the groundbreaking work being done in communities across the globe to urgently reduce carbon pollution. That's as specific as it got. Now, Mrs. Jobs is not the only philanthropist who is interested in climate change these days. Bjorn, I would point you to uh, Jeff Bezos. He is committed $10 billion over the next decade to address uh, climate change through his Bezos Earth Fund. Uh, the Swiss billionaire, I'm going to butcher his name, please correct me, Hans-George Wies, I think it is. Uh, you tell me if I've got that right or wrong. I'm not sure if I did. He's pledged a billion and a half dollars to uh, conservation efforts. We have Michael Bloomberg, the former New York City mayor, former presidential candidate. Uh, he wants to spend a half a trillion dollars, excuse me, half a billion dollars, $500 billion uh, on initiatives to close all U.S. coal plants by 2030 and stop the construction of proposed gas plants. So here we have some specific ideas, some very vague ideas. But what I see, Bjorn, is billions of dollars being tossed around for, you know, heart in the right place, trying to improve the environment. But the question is, how do you track that money, Bjorn? 
Well, so this is something uh, uh, my organization and I have spent a long time trying to look at. Uh, how do you fix the issue of climate change? And also more generally, remember, this is not the only problem the world is facing. Right. Uh, so I, I, I think uh, on, on the issue of climate change, almost everyone seems to be focused on saying, I want to solve something right now. That's why we hand over uh, that $7,500 for you to buy a Tesla. And then you, know, you can sort of show, see, now it's a Tesla uh, driving around instead of a gas guzzling car. It feels good, but the ultimate outcome is very, very tiny. It's probably an incredibly ineffective way uh, to help the world. I'm not going to com comment on these individual and uh, uh, on these individual efforts to try to fix well, climate change. Well, you certainly can't a lot of them, yeah. and you really can't. You really can't because just they're all <laughs> they're all just nascent programs right now. It's just promises of billions of dollars toward you know climate change, yeah. toward improving the environment. We don't know specifically. So that's the question here. If you Bjorn Lomberg were given a billion dollars to you know to address climate change, how would you spend it? How would you invest? You, it? We should be spending it much more on research and development. So remember, uh, almost everything that has happened in the world today that's wonderful has right. come from innovations. You know, the fact that we've been able to uh, 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 make uh, uh, varieties of wheat and, and corn and so on that are much, much more productive, which drove down the price of food, which made it possible for a lot fewer people uh, basically to feed us. The same thing with energy, the same thing with computers, pretty much everything else. If you think about uh, back in the 1950s in Los Angeles, there's a lot of pollution. Uh, right. uh, most of it came from cars. It's, you know, Los Angeles has this particular uh, sort of geological setup that, that makes it very vulnerable to, uh, to air pollution. Uh, and most of this came from cars. Uh, this sort of standard environmental approach would be to say, let's try to, you know, the Bloomberg approach would be, let's try to outlaw cars or convince people to jog or walk instead of, of, of driving a car. Not only would that not have worked, but it would also have been tremendously bad for these people because they wouldn't have had the, uh, uh, you know, their their uh, uh, their individual mobility and all the things that come with actually having a car of positive impact. What did solve this was the innovation of the catalytic converter. So, you know, a fairly cheap electronic gadget that you put on the exhaust pipe. It came out in, the, in 1978. Uh, you know, yes, it costs some money, but it's only a couple hundred dollars. You put it on the exhaust pipe. And then you can drive much longer and pollute much, much, much less. This is the main reason why you know Los Angeles is no longer terribly polluted. It's still you know, not clean or anything, but it's much, much less polluted. That's how you solve a problem. You don't do it by telling people, I'm sorry, could you do with a little less? Could you not drive? Could you be a little more inconvenienced? You do it through technology. That was the same thing we did back in this uh, when we worried about everybody uh, you know, not having enough food in India and Africa in the 1970s. The solution was not to tell everyone else to not eat or eat less and then send the food uh, to, to Africa or, uh, or India. The solution was what we called the green revolution back then that we found ways of producing much, much more food on every hectare or every acre of land through innovation. That's how you solve these problems. And again, what we should be solving with climate change is exactly the same thing. Innovate green energy to be cheaper than fossil fuels. I would love to see these billionaires spend a lot more money on innovation. If you could make fourth generation nuclear cheaper than fossil fuels and you know, get through all the red tape, basically you would have solved a very big chunk of this because not only would rich America and, and the Europeans uh, be buying this, 
but so would the Chinese. Instead of building a lot of coal-fired power plants, they would now build fourth-generation nuclear. The same goes for India, the same goes for Africa. This is not going to be the only solution, the only innovation that we need. We need a lot of other things. You know, it could be, for instance, batteries. If you could find a way to make batteries phenomenally much cheaper, you could also have a lot more solar and wind. I'm, I'm a little skeptical of that, but we should certainly be looking into that. And there's lots and lots of other ways that we could do this. Innovation is key. That's how we solved other problems in the past. That's how we're going to solve global warming. Unfortunately, we seem to be putting the cart in front of the horse and we're you know, instead spending seven and a half thousand dollars and subsidizing uh, uh, electric cars. We're going to try to outlaw uh, coal-fired power plants instead of focusing on let's make alternatives that are cheaper and better so that people will want to have it. The last bit of this is also to re recall, it's not the only problem. While global warming is a definite problem, you know, uh, uh, the, the best estimates we have is that it that it's probably in the order of a 4% reduction of GDP, uh, of, 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 uh, if we don't do anything about global warming, it'll make you 4% less well off by the end of the century. Uh, remember, by then we'll be much, much richer. So it's a little less, much better off by the end of the century. That's a problem. Uh, but right now there are lots of other problems. It's not affecting you and I and, and most people in the rich world, but vast number of people are suffering from poverty, right. from hunger, from bad education, uh, uh, if it wasn't for COVID, the world's biggest infectious disease is something that we've stopped caring about 100 years ago, tuberculosis. Right. Tuberculosis kills one and a half million people every year. We know how to fix it, but we don't really care because, yeah, you know, Chopin and all these other guys back in the 1800s died from it. But today we know how to fix it and we fix it very cheaply. That's why it's not a problem in the rich world. There are lots of other issues. And so while we should definitely be focusing our money on getting better investment in research and development so that we will actually fix climate change because we overspend on climate and often badly so, and we talk enormously about climate change, we almost forget all the other big problems in the world. And I think to a certain extent, if we're gonna get the Indians and the Africans, not so much the Chinese on board for this, we right. really need to remember there are many other challenges we all should, should be focusing on. And it turns out most of these things have incredibly cheap solutions. I, I mentioned tuberculosis. You know, we have great uh, uh, gene expert uh, 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 technology that makes it possible for you to determine, do you have tuberculosis? Do you have tuberculosis that's susceptible to the cheap drug or do you need a more expensive drug? We have drugs for all of this. We should just get it out there and get people on these treatments right away. We have great treatments uh, for uh, uh, for better education, you know, through uh, 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 learning at the right level, computerized learning levels that for very little money could dramatically improve education outcomes, which of course would make everybody much richer uh, because they would be much better educated over the next 50 years. There are lots of these solutions why are we not focusing on them? Well, partly because we're so obsessed with this one issue of climate change that we forget the world has many problems and we need to solve all of them. Well, this gets back to my point about obsessing over Taylor Swift and Leonardo DiCaprio and their and their flying adventures. And it sounds like what you're suggesting, at least for the philanthropist Bjorn, is there has to be a much more expansive conversation here. And it's not just about uh, the earth warming. It's also about sustainable food supplies and developing nations and quality of health care and education and so forth. Yes. And, and we're not going to have that conversation before we stop having this alarm discussion. Oh, it's the end of the world on climate change. No, it's a problem. 
Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of taken aback. You've mentioned heat waves several times, and heat waves are actually becoming worse because yeah. of global warming. As temperatures go up, you'd be surprising not to see more heat waves. Now, we also have very, very simple ways to deal with that. That's why, despite temperatures of going up in the US of the last half century, the number of people dying from heat waves have gone down. Why? Because of air conditioning. It's very, very simple. As you get richer, you stop dying from heat waves because it's very technologically easy to do so. Unfortunately, cold waves are much, much more deadly almost everywhere on the planet. So remember, uh, uh, one recent estimate in the Lancet Journal uh, finds that about half a million people die from heat every year globally, but about four and a half million people die from cold. The problem with cold, so nine times more, the problem with cold is it's much, much more costly to avoid because it's not something about, you know, oh, there's a cold wave. So you go, you need to go inside and get uh, heated up. Right. It's this persistent fact that you're a little too cold all the way through winter, especially if you're old, it makes your, uh, 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 your blood vessels contract a little bit. So you get higher uh, uh, blood pressure and that makes you slightly more susceptible uh, to a stroke or, or die uh, for, from a lot of different uh, uh, diseases. A again, these are statistical impacts, but they have real impacts because people actually die from these. So the reality here is what you've seen in the US and elsewhere is as we are so worried about global warming, we make energy more expensive. And one of the impacts is that people can't heat their homes as well. And right. so what's actually happened in the US and elsewhere is cold deaths are going up, despite the fact that global warming, all other things equal, should make cold deaths go down. They're going up because of our impacts on climate policy. We forget to focus on what matters. Now, obviously, we should fix heat deaths. Obviously, we should also be fixing global warming, as we've been talking about. But we should definitely also be concerned about much, much greater impact of cold deaths. We're not because it's not part of the conversation right now. I think if we had a smarter and better conversation, these billionaires would be spending their money on smarter ways. So yes, please spend some of it on, on climate change, but spend it smartly through innovation. And maybe also, I don't know, spend some of it on, on making sure that our people, people don't, especially poor people, don't die from cold. And also make sure that we don't get as many people dying from tuberculosis, get more kids educated well, especially in the developing world, and so on. Uh, Bjorn, you wrote a piece from Financial Post published July 27th, the headline, quote, the, the rich world's message to the poor fossil fuels for me, but not for thee, subhead, the rich are choking off funding for any new fossil fuels in the developing world. Uh, tell us so, what we're getting at well, here. So, so, so fundamentally, there is something amazing about the fact that what's the world's uh, most renewable continent? <laughs> it's Africa. Africa is incredibly poor. So they actually get almost... 50% of their energy from renewables. This is mostly an indication that they're incredibly poor, that most of this comes from wood, dung, cardboard, or whatever they can get their hands on. And it's terribly polluting because you, you, know, you cook and keep warm indoors with terribly polluting uh, 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 fuels, which means that about uh, uh, you know, one to two million people die each year from indoor air pollution. There's a lot of problems with this. And we go to Africa now and tell them, you know what? You should just skip that whole fossil fuel thing. Yes, it made us rich. Yes, it makes our world incredibly comfortable. But you guys should just go with a solar panel. Now, I'm not saying solar panel is a bad thing. It'll actually, you know, it'll charge your cell phone. It'll give you a light to, you know, study at night. 
but it's not going to solve most of your problems. It's not actually going to solve your indoor air pollution because you can't run your stove on it. You can't heat your way with a solar panel. And crucially, it's not going to get you out of poverty because that's what you need lots and lots of energy to run your agriculture, you know, your pumps much more effectively, and eventually your industrialization. So the fundamental point here is it's incredible to see rich world that uses lots of fossil fuel, but also now a little bit of solar panels telling the poor world, you know what, you guys should just not do all of that fossil fuels. And then saying, and we're not going to help you fund any of it. We're actually going to block your funding for that. That just seems to be, you know, uh, close to neo-colonialism. I can't even say that right. But you know, the fundamental point here is to say Africans, not surprisingly, actually would like to live like you and I. And we're telling because of global warming, you can't. That seems immoral. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bjorn, September 2020 in Palo Alto, the temperature reached 106 degrees. Have it at 347 in the afternoon, California time, a record for Palo Alto, California, 10 degrees warmer than the previous record set in 1983. I'm going to put you to table with two people, Bjorn, on that day when it's 106 degrees. And there is a climate change skeptic slash denier sitting next to you who says, okay, it's 106 degrees. It was hot 30 years ago. It's hot now. Move on. Next to you is the person who's just the opposite there. They're just almost over the top on climate change. My God, the world is coming to an end. Look how hot it is. How do you bridge the difference between these two? If you have to turn to the person who's in denial, how do you explain climate change to him or her? Conversely, if you're talking to the person who thinks that this is apocalyptic, how do you talk them off the roof? Uh, I, 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 first of all, I think this is going to be very hard, certainly with one yes. conversation. But yes, you should definitely try to convince the denier that, look, we have very good records that show that temperatures have increased. And this is this is likely partly because of global warming. Now, remember, most people live in cities. And so cities have become much warmer than their surrounding countryside, mostly right. because they have lots of hot surfaces like black asphalt and black rooftops. Generate heat. Uh, yeah, that generate heat. So, so part of this is probably also, you know, it, it's unlikely that global warming did the whole 10 degrees uh, of, of, of temperature increase, but definitely part of it is because of global warming. But to the, so, you know, it, it, it's just a silly argument to say that it's not, that it's not happening. And, and it's an indefensible argument as far as I can tell. But the real issue then is what should you do about it? And this is where I think a lot of the people who are really worried about climate change sort of gets to the idea of saying, well, this is caused by climate change. This is the climate change is caused by us burning fossil fuels. So you should stop using fossil fuels. Now that sounds you know, sort of on, on the face of it, smart, but partly we've been making this argument for 30 years and gotten almost nowhere. Remember, we never emitted more CO2 than we did this year. And we're likely to be, sorry, last year. And we're likely to emit even more this year. So it's not like we're succeeding with this argument. Uh, the second part is, shouldn't you ask what will actually help people in Palo Alto and and more generally around the world in dealing with this. Well, we just addressed one part of it, which is if most people live in cities and cities are incredibly hot, there's a very, very simple way to make cities less hot. It's about making them less black. So actually uh, remove the or uh, replace the black asphalt with with, uh, 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 lighter, so sort of grayish color uh, asphalt. It can reduce temperatures a lot more. 
put in uh, water features and greenery, we know that can reduce temperatures a lot. It can actually reduce much, much more. So simulation, this has been done, especially for London, uh, shows that you can actually reduce heat wave uh, temperatures uh, by upwards to 18 degrees Fahrenheit. Hmm. Much, much more at very low cost, something that everybody will like, especially the green water features and, and the greenery. It's very, very cheap. Why don't we start with that? Get that done. This is something that you can get almost everybody on board with because it's beautiful and it's easy, it's cheap, and it works right away. Now, that's not the only part of the solution because you also need to address the long-term issue of climate change. But right. then again, why would you start uh, you know, with the sort of Inflation Reduction Act kind of thing where you give $7,500 to a Tesla? That's the least effective way to be cutting carbon emissions. Again, talk to this person and say, you need to realize you need to make this sustainable. That is something that we can afford to keep doing. That's probably not what we're gonna be doing with the uh, electric car. And we also need to make this reasonable and useful for China, India, and Africa. And that's certainly not what this is about. Again, that uh, uh, shows us much more in the direction of research and development. Get those technologies, just like the catalytic converter in Los Angeles, that will actually and simply solve this problem. Uh, it's not going to feel quite as, I'm going to save the world, <laughs> but it's probably actually going to be working much more effectively to fixing climate change. I don't know, you know, this is a hard conversation to have, and I don't think this is, this is going to happen over one dinner, right. uh, but, I, but I hope that we can get the denied to say, yeah, all right, there is actually a temperature increase, but I hope that we can also, and that this is probably coming from uh, uh, using more fossil fuels, but I think we can also get the alarmist to realize the alarm doesn't actually help. It hasn't helped for the last 30 years. It makes us uh, pick bad policy decisions. Instead, let's focus on smart, cheap, effective things that we can do right now, like uh, uh, greening and, 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 and cooling our cities, and then the smart long-term solutions that are all about innovation. Yeah, but here's the problem. In today's society, Bjorn, especially here in America, we just have alarmists on both the left and the right, and we revel in gotchas at all the times, just hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. So that's, to me, that's one of the just fundamental challenges with the climate debate. Just you're in one of two camps, either you're alarmist or you're just playing gotcha hypocrisy. Yeah. And, and, and look, I don't, I don't have a good solution for, uh, 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 for, for that fundamental problem. Uh, uh, so my, my think tank, uh, the Copenhagen Consensus, where we try to bring together a lot of economists to look at where can you spend money and do the, the smartest thing, both on right. climate, but also on all the other issues. Uh, we, we have sort of a saying that, you know, obviously, if, you're, if you just ask economists, we, we should all do the effective stuff. We should do the smart stuff. Uh, but as you, as you just pointed out, for a lot of political reasons, that doesn't that doesn't happen. Uh, so, so I think we're we're we, we're fond of saying, well, it's not about getting it right; it's about getting it slightly less wrong. If we could meet, move people a little bit in the right direction, right? If we could get the denier to be a little less denierish, if we could get the alarmist to be a little more smart on on some of these climate moves, if we could, you know, I don't know, spend seven thousand dollars on the electric car, it's still, you know mostly wasted money, but then we could possibly spend the last $500 on research and development in green energy. That'd still be good. It's not effective. It's not the best thing you could do, but it's you know a plausible second best outcome. So if we can start that conversation, we can be a little smarter and hopefully we can be a little better at actually fixing this. My other question, Bjorn, what are you working on these days? What's your, what's your next big project? So uh, the world decided uh, back in 2015 uh, 
to set a number of global goals. It's called the Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, and um, unlike the last set of goals that we did back in 2000 for the world, which was called the Millennium Development Goals, they basically were seven smart, simple things, you know, stop kids from uh, uh, starving, uh, uh, stop people from being in, uh, uh, in poverty, uh, get uh, water and sanitation to be uh, very, very simple things that also, you know, I think most people understand as, as great investments uh, uh, in, in the 2015 promises we basically promised everything to everyone. So we promised to fix climate change, uh, but we also promised uh, to, to have a world without war and get everybody out of poverty and get a job for everyone and get you know uh, uh, parks for handicapped people in, in, uh, world, uh, in cities all over the world and, right. and everything <laughs> in between. So basically we just promised everything to everyone. We're now halfway and we're nowhere near actually fixing this. So we're trying to say, look, if we're not going to be able to manage to do all of this, shouldn't we try to focus on the smarter stuff first? Right. And not surprisingly, again, this will be around, you know, for instance, fixing tuberculosis. These are not rocket science things. We know from lots and lots of research what works and what doesn't. I'm simply trying to get the world to say, let's do a little more of the stuff that works phenomenally and do a little less of the stuff that just barely works. Not rocket science. Just simple, smart stuff. And, and again, I, I'm not going to convince everyone, and I'm certainly not going to convince the climate denier and the climate alarmist around the table. But if I can sort of get them to be a little more mellow and start, oh, well, okay, maybe I'm going to you know, spend $50 on the smart stuff. That's $50 we wouldn't have spent on the smart stuff otherwise. I'm, I'm happy to take the small wins. Sounds great, Bjorn. Um, thanks for the conversation today. Enjoy what time you have left in California. Hey, by the way, speaking of being in California, um, I have a California dilemma here. Maybe you can help me out with uh, Bjorn. My car, my car is a hybrid. It's a combination of gas and a small battery. I don't drive very far distances, so I pretty much drive on the battery. I got a problem. I got to use up more gas, or else the gas is going to go bad. So, anyway, if you want to take the car on the highway, you might take might be doing me a favor, even even if you are polluting the world. Oh, thank you. I should just mention that there's a lot of evidence that indicates that we should, instead of our fascination with electric cars, yeah. we should have gone all hybrid. Hybrid is by far the most adaptable thing. You know, you, you probably didn't get any subsidies for your uh, hybrid car, nope. but what you did was it actually saves you money because you don't use as much gas and you use a little bit of the electricity. I don't know if it's a, uh, if it's a rechargeable or if it just recharges itself, but it turns out that these are incredibly effective. These are by far the ones that we should have been spending our money on first. Now, eventually electric cars are gonna take, the, you know, the real sort of Teslas, uh, uh, the full electric cars, are gonna take over quite a bit of, of, of our mobility, but hybrids were the way to go. And again, that's how we fix issues. Yeah, it's a first-generation BMW hybrid, so it uh, goes about 15. The battery is not the smartest design. It goes about 15 miles and needs a charge after that. It could charge on yeah. its own if you're driving on the highway, but oh. otherwise you got to plug it in, and there you go. But, uh, yeah, the gasoline is going to go bad, so help me out, Bjorn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I'll do what I can. <laughs> okay. Hey, thanks again for the conversation. And more importantly, Thank thanks for being part of the Hoover Institution. Just You do fantastic work. Yeah, it's wonderful. You've been listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the world. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please um, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us. If you wouldn't mind, spread the word, get your friends to have a listen. 
the Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's spelled at Hoover I-N-S-T. Bjorn Lomborg is on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Bjorn Lomborg. Surprise, surprise. You spell that B-J-O-R-N-L-O-M-B-O-R-J at Bjorn Lomborg. I'd also refer you to Lomborg.com where Bjorn separates fact from fiction with regard to energy and climate. And there's also the uh, Copenhagen Consensus Center, which is available at CopenhagenConsensus.com if you want to keep up with his work there. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. We'll be back soon with the newest problem of matters of policy and politics. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.